Hi friends, welcome back. Today my guest is Adam Ionis. Adam is an amazing human being with such an interesting perspective on the essence of great products and the nature of effort. There's almost like thresholds of where some aspects, if they're really, really high, high polish, will make the thing shine. And then other, other parts uh, on the negative side, if they're really obvious, it can destroy the perception of the thing. But if there's enough good stuff and the bad stuff is, um, is not offensive, then it doesn't matter how cohesive the whole is. It, it's almost like we, it's more memorable. It's, it's, it's enough for something to stand out in one area for us to appreciate it. Since his childhood, Adam has always been fascinated with games, which led him to becoming a game developer. The game he's currently working on, called Insignia, is truly an amazing project, with such an extreme care and attention to details. I've thought about this a lot. I think the big difference between those projects and this project is I really didn't hold back in placing kind of all of myself into it, in terms of the vision for what it could be, I did a very bad job of defining like a limited scope. I basically said like, this game is going to have all of my dreams in it or whatever, all of my passion. He shares his game dev journey and game dev tutorials on Twitch and YouTube. If you are not yet familiar with Adam and his work, please do check him out. I'm sure you will enjoy it. And now let's get to our conversation. Uh, we can start just with you uh, sharing a little bit about yourself, about like what you've been doing and stuff like this. Okay, well, my name's Adam. Uh, I have a background in UX design and uh, for the last maybe seven years or so, I have been following my passion for creating video games. I've always been really passionate about them and uh, there was kind of just like a point in my life where I had this, you know, long-term hobby creative interest, you know, something that I enjoyed, enjoyed doing as a player that I had sort of always wanted to do, but never felt confident that I was, you know, could do it or had the opportunity to do it. And when enough uh, positive forces aligned, I kind of took the leap. And since then, I've been working on uh, a number of games, but uh, particularly one that's called Insignia. And it is kind of like my, my dream game or the game I would have you know, been most excited by as like a 10 year old. So um, it's a project I've been working on in Unity for the last, uh, yeah, like six or seven years full time. I have a YouTube channel where I chronicle kind of like my development and also share things that I learn. Uh, so tutorials on uh, Unity and on pixel art, which is the game's art style. I'm building the game solo so far. So that includes um, you know, all the programming, the design, animation, writing, even music up to this point. Um, but I'm looking to sort of change that in the near future as I push towards a release. So um, wanting to build a bit more of a team, more of a marketing push and get some funding and that kind of thing. Yeah. And you said you were working on the game for six and seven years? Yes, I actually had the first concept for the game in 2014. So I was working uh, at a design agency and I had been, you know, from high school through to university, through to the start of my job, been doing things in and around game design. So 
designing characters or um, animations, you know, putting them online and learning programming. And so I had been playing with game uh, concepts and engines and things like that. And in 2014, I kind of put those together into like an idea for a game. But I didn't really start working on it as a proper project. You could call this like pre-production until like 2016. Uh-huh. And then maybe like the last six, six months of 2016, I was working kind of like full time. And then every time, like every minute that I wasn't working, I was working on the game. And then in 2017, I quit my job. So since 2017, since February 2017, uh-huh. I've been working full time on the game. There have been periods of time where I've had to do uh, contract work back in UX design um, or, you know, motion design or animation to mm-hmm. help fund what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. But at this stage, I'm mostly financially independent from having to do that. So mm-hmm. through content creation, Patreon, things like that, I've kind of stabilized and um, now I'm just focusing on the game. That is, that is amazing journey, you know, <laughs> because t- staying like continuing working on something for that long is it requires certain I think kind of there should be something inside right that kind of doesn't let you to stop even even if you kind of at some point it just becomes very it becomes very difficult and it is very nice and because I, I'm sorry, I don't know. Like you don't understand correctly that the game has not yet been released. That's right. Okay, and um, but do you feel like um, at this stage you're you're somewhere in the neighborhood of like so it could be turned into an actual product that could be released? Yeah. So. I've always considered myself, like prior to this seven-year period, mm-hmm. if we rewind, rewind back to when I was like 24 and, and before that, I would have considered myself somebody who had a very difficult time finishing things. Um, mm-hmm. Most of my projects that I started, I you know, would spend six weeks or so experimenting, playing around and you know, enjoying mm-hmm. it. And then as soon as it became kind of like difficult... Um, I would basically just say, okay, well, all the fun stuff about the conceptual aspects of how I would do this have been solved. And now all that's ahead of me is the doing it part, which I'm not interested in. So I would just move on. I think a lot of people do that. For me, I've thought about this a lot. I think the big difference between those projects and this project is I really didn't hold back in placing kind of all of myself into it in terms of the vision for what it could be, I did a very bad job of defining like a limited scope. I basically said like, this game is going to have all of my dreams in it or whatever, all of my passion. And so because the, the game in its most like simple description, there's nothing in that that I have, how do I put this? Whenever I find myself in a place where 
I'm kind of feeling a little bit burnt out on some aspect of the game or um, just creatively maybe I'm feeling a little bit fatigued, the game is still kind of like... Uh, it's still so so close to the core of like my passions as far as the story and the themes and the mechanics and the art style and all of those things that I don't have anywhere else to go to or the places that I go to are still within the project. So if I'm tired of doing animation, I can do some programming or if I'm feeling like I want to express myself, you know, creatively through music, there's lots of music I can work on for the game or even branding and design. I can think about the, logo and the motion motion design for how I would do the marketing for the game so in trailers and things like that I can go to all of these places that are different places but are still within the project mm-hmm. and I I guess I mentioned scope earlier I, I want to be clear that what I've learned over time and the reason why this is like a six-year project and not a two-year project is you know before you work on something it's very hard to actually understand scope in a practical sense Um, in terms of how long something will take. And so when I look at the project, it's not that it doesn't have a scope, but it's that the scope that I assumed that I just said, oh, well, definitely I will be managing all of these aspects. That just takes a lot longer than I thought it would. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I guess at this stage you asked, like, how far am I or, like, is the game close to being a shippable product? At this stage, uh, I, I think that the game is, you know, within within 24 months of release, once I cross a, a very specific uh, production threshold, which is the point where I'm comfortable bringing other people on and effectively, like, pitching the game to, to um, like, funding, so whether that's Kickstarter or, or a publisher. And... The reason why I haven't crossed that threshold is really just a matter of personal comfort. So I have a very specific vision for what I want the game to feel like. And until I've developed the game to a point where I think I have a clear example of how I want it to feel and a definition for how each of the pieces fit together, I don't feel like I can trust the process to prioritize that vision once there are more people involved so for example if a publisher comes on board and they say well we'll give you this much funding for uh, hiring additional resources um, but we really need the game to come out in you know six you know eight months from now or whatever or 12 months or whatever it is imposing that deadline you know if we come to some point in the development process where uh, we need to iterate but we don't have time to iterate then we have to compromise and, you know, Uh probably prioritize the release. And I don't really want to make those kinds of vision-based compromises or compromises on the feel of the product when I don't have to. Like, until I'm, like, kind of, I've run out of patience, I can just keep refining the core of it. Uh But once I have that refined core, I feel like it's much easier to direct other people to follow that vision if I've proven it, you know what I mean? So that's why, that's kind of where it's at. It, it feels like this, this project has become kind of a part of you. So it oh, is... Definitely. It is, 
And it is very... Uh, and I know this feeling because it is... You, you, you have put so much effort into it, like a lot of thinking about this, just like spending a lot of time doing this and building the vision in the like how you want to get it done and you want to get it done right because on some level it kind of feels like if you if at some point you you just kind of give up and hack to the end right it it kind of feels like you don't get the satisfaction of like building something great that yes. you wanted to do right and that was the start that was the only reason i like i didn't take on the project thinking i just want to release something it was mm -hmm. no i really want to make something specific um and so I've, i've been chasing that since then are you kind of scared about releasing it like what, what yeah, would happen when you actually release it like have you thought a lot it's a good question it? yeah so i i Because it's been so long, I have had the opportunity mm -hmm. to, even though this is the first like full scale game dev project that I've worked on, mm -hmm. I have had the opportunity to take time off the project. Um, the longest period of time was six months. I stopped for about mm -hmm. six months to work on a smaller game so that I could experience what it would feel like to release something and to see how I would react. <laughs> um, and just to be more familiar with that process. So in 2020, I worked on a small game that I released on Android um, and that project uh, I felt um, it, it was, it took a lot out of me emotionally to release it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I was very scared of how people would receive it. And I would say even there was a part of me that almost needed to emotionally separate myself from it because I felt it would, the emotions were like too strong. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly because I committed to releasing it, supporting it for, you know, a few weeks and then leaving it. And that process of having to say to myself, this is finished, like I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. It made it very difficult to actually cross that finish line and release it because I felt like it's like letting something die. It's like grieving for something mm -hmm. a little bit. So If I can avoid that for this game, I think maybe that's why there's a part of me that's almost a bit stubborn, like a little bit, um, uh, I would say people have asked me in the past if I'm a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I think in my core, I'm not a perfectionist. I, I like to, you know, follow my interest and oftentimes my interest runs out before, um, like I am able to polish something right down to having no no more creases in it but i'm very um i'm very considerate of of expectations and the feedback that i get as a ux designer you have to be mm -hmm. so conscious of of user feedback so when it comes to player feedback and player expectations through early the early period of the game's development i would take prototypes to Uh, regular meetup groups and I would have other developers or people um, just at like a bar play the game mm -hmm. and it became clear to me that like almost immediately that my standard of what I thought was intuitive or fun or simple is not it doesn't carry very easily 
you have to be so meticulous with video games to make something feel good or worth people's time or worth their money or even just valuable enough to warrant that game being spoken about or promoted above all of the others, like just to be competitive uh, in the market. The standard has to be very high, I think. So do, do you mean, that's kind of where that comes from. Do you mean kind of people who you were talking with expect, have a high expectations based on what they see in the industry and, and stuff like this? Or this was kind of more coming from yourself? It's, I, I think there is a disconnect between what most, what even, even as developers. So, you know, everybody who plays games, we call them players. Mm -hmm. And then if you develop games, you'd be a developer mm -hmm. as players, our expectations, when we pick up a controller and it's the same when we use an app, um, our expectations are a lot higher than we think they are. Um, in that, mm -hmm. People, people will say, oh, I understand that this is just a work in progress. I understand mm -hmm. that it's, you know, not finished yet. But they still, it's very easy to, to pick up a controller and feel what's wrong, you know, and say, mm -hmm. oh, that's not yes. quite the way, it doesn't feel very good. Or, you know, if, an, if you have an app and you're scrolling through and it's stuttering, you can feel those aspects that take you out of the experience immediately. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like subconscious. And so... Even developers who, who are very aware, like it's, it's their, they work on their own work in progress games constantly, cannot separate themselves from that feeling or the, um, the, like socially, you know, people want to empathize and sympathize and be understanding. They want to say, oh, um, you've done a great job. And that can be true. You can do a good job. And, and be making something very special. But it, that doesn't make it um, worthy of people's money as a product or their time. You know what I mean? That's kind of the yeah. disconnect. Nobody cares about the, the grind of it, right? Like, I mean, mm. people can say that, yeah, you're doing great and... Uh, but it, it, it kind of ends there, right? And the next step is like, okay, tell us when it is actually ready, ready, right? And, but, but you're saying that even developers who actually experience that don't really understand that. Because I would imagine that, I would imagine that, for example, I, I think that people who kind of went through this grind, right, through this process to, of working f to, to have something released at the end, like a song or a movie or something like this. And there is like, a, like, you, you, can you, like a movie, right? Like two hours, mm -hmm. <laughs> like a year of work at some point, just release two hours. People see is it like, wow or not? And that's it. And then, like, kind of life moves on. Uh, I, I would imagine that people who actually do this kind of stuff, yes, they can. I mean, they also don't care that much. And then they want to see the final product, but they still kind of have a bit, like, a deeper connection with the person who is developer, right? I think, 
the explanation for this is the same distinction between um, someone who is experienced in a in a subject and somebody who mm -hmm. can teach that subject, or mm -hmm. the difference between somebody who um, can uh, work in a film, if we're using that as an example, and someone who can direct a film. I think mm -hmm. guidance or like um, yeah, like teaching. It's, it's a very different skill from doing. And so understanding the, the, if you experience something like, um, you know, someone puts a game in front of me or some art they've mm -hmm. created, which happens a lot on stream. Someone will say, Hey, can you review some art that I've done? The task of assessing something that's, you know, not necessarily professional work. It's maybe someone's first attempt at something being able to prioritize, you know, accept the bits that aren't polished or aren't very good, process all of that, and then say something that is most helpful, that allows them to move most, uh, to move forward efficiently. That's a different task than just saying what's wrong with all of it. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's like a guidance aspect that, isn't one-to-one -one with just identifying flaws, but as a player. So, you know, just if someone says, do you think this is fun? That is just about the raw experience and am I enjoying myself? Can I get immersed? So feedback is just, I, I think, and again, it's something that in UX you have to, you spend a lot of time. If you've done any like UX research um, with stakeholder um, stuff mm -hmm. like that, um, this is, it's, it's very common, even in prototyping um, testing, where users will give some feedback and it's the role of the UX designer to interpret that feedback into something meaningful for the direction. Because if you just take the feedback immediately or directly, how that translates is very often not. It's, it's not easy to just take the feedback and apply it wholesale. There might be lots of other reasons why it needs to be different. It is, you know, a lot, I have experience when, you know, you talk with people about something, I don't know, a design for the interior, for the room, right? And people can kind of say, and if they see something that they like, like, for example, a room that they like, they can say, yeah, that looks great. But yes. I, I have experienced that not much people can kind of explain what exactly makes uh, the room look good That's and it. what and what like doesn't work in this room right or in mm. the design visual design and stuff like this i have a really good example that i've just thought up so like an example would be in interior design if somebody uh -huh. walks into a room and you say how does it feel and they say it feels very spacious that's not a that's not a comment on how many things are in the room the room can have lots of things in it and still feel uh -huh. spacious And so if somebody says, this room doesn't feel spacious, if you just make more space by taking things out, that's not going to necessarily solve the problem because it might be more about light. It might be that, you know, we need to you know, have more light in the room or if the ceiling was a little bit higher, it would feel more spacious. There are lots of other, th or even the temperature of the lights, you know, or, you know, the direction the lights are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I also was thinking a lot about this because I was thinking 
those examples about interior design i was you know even like furniture some furniture is like very heavy feeling and <laughs> some furniture is made in a way when when you know there's a lot of light uh, a lot of empty uh, negative space know, like negative space is another thing is when you kind of have at least some space between uh, between uh, items in the room right because a lot of people like for example my own family when i was living we had like a room and we had like uh, a sofa next to a sofa next to a table there is there was no room at all and and i did like i didn't really understand what's wrong but it felt like wrong and only mm -hmm. after i was studying different different images mostly on pinterest <laughs> different Im images how how different uh, rooms are built i i started to notice what exactly makes feel uh, like I, I was always using the word light right it, it feels like very the spacious the thing that you were talking about and mm. then and and from there you can see how for example you can have like a uh, a, a night table right to your bride and it could be like a, a block or it could be a block or for example without legs and and just hang on the world or something like this and it's very interesting and and i you know i was watching one of your videos where you were describing some animation of an attack right and you were going basically a frame by frame and explaining every visual effect right because there are sometimes there are a lot of it and when a uh, like a regular person plays they do not notice they do not uh, have the time to process every single um, visual effect right it just mm -hmm. happens and it feels either like good or not but the time that you spend going through each frame and explaining and thinking about it was amazing and it was it felt very close to one yeah we <laughs> yesterday we did the we were doing visual effects as well and i i spent the last two days six hours per day working on one particle effect and in chat constantly the, the last four hours people were saying it looked good uh two iterations ago but it looks better now and they still and they kept saying i would have stopped i would have stopped here i would have stopped here and i kept going and every time they kept saying oh that looks that looks better and it's the same kind of thing like i guess the probably the one like quality or characteristic that i think makes people who are creative or people who get into this kind of industry mm -hmm. the way we are is that interest it's like i'm trying to articulate why we like something what what makes something good i think that goes a long way y yes exactly yeah. <laughs> because and it even goes like even deeper like i i have always i have always thought about the most important thing that i kind of figured out in my life is is just like being honest with yourself right and when you when you if you are trying to be honest with yourself even like deep 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 inside of you and you are saying okay i want to be able to create great i i want to draw and i want to create great images right then you 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 are trying but you 
you you kind of need to to honestly look at what you have drawn and try to understand what what is not good right and and without doing this work it is kind of you don't you don't get to to you don't break to through the like the moment where you actually start to get something that you like right and a lot of people i think just try to draw it doesn't work exactly and they stop because mm. it, it 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 is not what they expected right and they don't try to go through this process of analyzing okay why does it suck basically yeah. and and it it is helpful and it all comes from trying to being honest about your own work with yourself you don't even need to tell anyone else you can do it in your room just practicing your craft mm. yeah it's a it's something that i i've spent a lot of time in my life doing um being critical and maybe in the last two or three years i've started to try to become more open-minded about whether or not that's always a positive uh trait or whether there are times when like what does it look like if you try to apply that intention in ways that are no longer effective like for example oh, sorry about that for example um if if you're if you kind of like uh want to be good at drawing or if you take two people one of them uh really wants to be good at drawing and the other one simply enjoys drawing if you take the mm-hmm. two of them and um both of their kind of motivations lead them to drawing you know three hours a day for five mm-hmm. years will there be a material difference between the, the two in terms of their um results like will it, it how helpful is it to want to be better versus just spending time and enjoying it i think there is a point my my sense is that there is a point where if you allow yourself to be consumed by the need to be better when you do reach plateaus when there are times when mm-hmm. you just don't see the results it can actually be more discouraging it can it can hurt it can make you want to do it less mm-hmm. because you're trying you're trying you you're being more um you know you're trying to go deeper you're trying to go broader you're reading more books why can't i improve in my drawing and when you reach that little like local maxima someone who's just enjoying themselves who just likes to draw they might push through that period because they don't feel that sense of friction so that's something that i think you know and even to get a bit more uh deep trying not to apply that critical um sensibility outside of my work like in my relationships or in myself like it can be unhealthy to be too obsessive about um how what's the word how well just to, just obsessive about judgments and like trying to improve things you know some things are kind of best left as they are uh you know i've been thinking about this also because I was thinking about all of this in, you know, in in a little bit different from a different point of view. I was thinking a lot about why there is often 
why does it happen that, for example, if we if we take people who are really good, like above the average at whatever they are doing, I notice that more often than not, those people are good in a very narrow uh, domain, right? And uh, I, 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 like, just my thoughts. I was thinking about that. I guess the, uh, maybe it be, happens because people, for example, a person who wants to be obsessive about good at drawing, they they focus like. It's not like they should not be obsessive, but they should not be obsessive only about trying just to draw and draw more. Sometimes you, if you just like stop and try to understand like that like what i'm doing i'm not sure that those people actually you know sometimes take the time to just stop from whatever they are doing and 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 see and kind of analyze okay what what i have been doing for the last like let's say three months is it actually moving me towards my actual dream that I want to do because I have had that experience in my way is that sometimes you're very deep in some problem and and you feel like you just need to push you just need to push a little bit more and and uh, and and at some point I just uh, took a step back and it and and then you realize kind of you're trying like instead of trying to build good tools for you, you're just, okay. I'm I'm just like shuffling with my I don't know spoon. Mm. <laughs> don't don't bother me. I'm just very busy shuffling. Yes, and it's very yeah. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Like the if you you could be trying really hard in the wrong direction for a very yeah. long time. Yes, and, yes, and be getting nowhere. And so yeah, it the I like to think about these things in like um like a pyramid like almost like um, when we talk about like design, like top down versus bottom up. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes you're too far down in specifics mm -hmm. and the answer yeah. is to be more abstract and think to take a step back. Like you said, like rather than being critical about the thing that you're working on right now, which is very easy to do. It's very tempting to say, well, I'm here. So the problem must be here. But yeah. the, the sense to say, well, maybe, there are other questions that I'm depending this uh, assumption on that need to be asked first. And if I, you know, learn, let's say I'm drawing a nose and I'm drawing mm -hmm. a nose and I'm trying, what's wrong with my nose? But maybe it's the face that's wrong. And yeah. the, the, you know, the size of the nose relative to the rest of the face is wrong, but I'm, I'm zoomed in on this little, you know, pixels. It happens all the time when I'm drawing. Um, so maybe the, the answer is, well, you need to learn more about anatomy, not, sit here figuring out the shading on this small portion of the nose that's not right but you know if we take if if we were comparing just like a regular person that draws from time to time just because of interest and the person who is who has like a deep drive to try to become better if this person who has the drive actually takes the time to kind of analyze if kind of maybe the whole puzzle that they are trying to achieve there is not good if they are able to do that then i personally feel like the drive is a very good thing to have 
because if you apply this drive to like in a productive way it can get you pretty far i think i think it's very dependent on how good of a navigator you are i think the drive it's like technology how people talk about um you know technology isn't good or bad it's how we use technology or mm -hmm. um yeah so it's the same thing like drive can be really good or really bad if mm -hmm. you know how to navigate so that's that's the that's how i see it that's and that's i think good. if you increase the complexity of a project it becomes harder to navigate so and and also navigation is a skill that can be learned so to bring this back to like a game design conversation and mm -hmm. i think also to to kind of explain why i think it's actually that the people who just go with their enjoyment why i think they have a slight advantage or can have an advantage is i think that people who work on a lot of different projects mm -hmm. um small projects simple projects that that are achievable in a small amount of time mm -hmm. get the experience of navigation better because they go through quantity they say well this project didn't work and this project did and oh i can compare them and i can see why you know we went you know we had too many people working on this one or um we got too focused on you know small details on this project but the cost is very low because we only spent 2 3 months on each of them but if you spend a long time working on a really complicated thing you don't have as much data experience to use to validate or judge you know is am i asking the right questions or is this the right place to be like for me when i'm working on my game like a 6 year project it, how do i know whether the problem is here or here or here or you know like it's it can be very difficult because navigation takes it takes so long with something of a large scale i i it kind of i think both of those things have their own value because uh another problem is that sometimes if people just go through one from one project to another project to another project they 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 don't get the they don't know. like i mean i feel that there are some lessons that you can only learn when yes. only after you kind of bang your head against the world for like a year right and yeah. then you realize something and if the pro if for those people i mean yes i do believe that you can gain an experience uh you will gain some additional experience from going through pro different projects it is very helpful but i think you need it's kind of important to balance those right and yeah please yeah you're you're right um and i can i I can relate to that because I think one thing that is a risk which is I think what you're trying to get at is if you only work on small projects mm -hmm. you learn how to solve problems in a way that prioritizes or biases towards mm -hmm. a certain kind of solution which is like a simple solution let's not get too caught up let's not and if there is if it happens to be a better solution that takes longer to find you won't find it because you're too um bias towards just fin just moving forward 
-hmm. Whereas, yes, if you do take the time, if you spend a year on a problem, there are things you learn in the eighth month that you would never learn if you only spent two months on the project. That's true. And I think think it's also very important to think about like personal goals, like why did you do it in the first place? Because um, maybe maybe your current goal is just to, you know, you want to test ideas and see what sticks, basically. And then you kind of develop projects like three months projects and go like this. Or maybe you kind of want to understand what it takes to, to get those like 2% of like perfection, how yes. to make the how to how to develop pro- the, the best products that we have in the world that have been developed right and when you want to develop to like to g- get those two percent this this is i think where it 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 requires you to focus on a single uh, goal for a long time yeah particularly in things that are a matter of i think like things that are experienced in a like for 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 consumers, I think that that's something with, that this applies a lot in because the execution that how do I put this that extra you know two percent as you say mm-hmm. applied over like the entire every aspect of a project mm-hmm. consumers can they can understand that something is better. They, they know that there's like, yeah. that something is in the top 1%. And from a, an abstract foundational perspective, you could say, well, this, these two apps, like you could talk about phones, like the, uh, the original iPhone versus the most, you know, the, the previous Samsung or any other like mm-hmm. phones on paper, they're like the same thing, right? It's a, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, rectangle, it's got a screen on the front. Um, some of them, you know, had already gotten rid of the physical keys they were just touch screens so they all have touch screens but like the iphone was very it felt very different even if on paper you could describe them very similarly and the places where you could see the effort put in didn't seem like the rest of the market prioritized those things so like the refresh rate on the on the on the screen or just the amount of processing power that was gone into animation those aren't things that you get just by developing Samsung phone after Samsung phone without someone like Steve Jobs saying, no, no, it needs to be fun to scroll, for example, or, you know, stuff like that. This is actually, to be honest, Apple as a company, especially, like, I cannot say that they are, like, I have a lot of things that I don't understand why Apple is doing a certain way. And I like, how you're apple why are why are you doing this but in general they especially during the uh, steve jobs and uh, johnny ive times this company and their products have made a lot of impact on my interests right uh, in terms of like visual design and fit and finish and stuff like this and it is very mm. interesting because steve jobs even was talking about like why he was doing uh, uh, products for the consumers, right? Because the consumers kind of what with their uh, dollars, right? For what they will be buying. And when yes. you're dwelling like business to business, kind of the person who makes a decision in terms of whether to buy a product or not 
is not the person who is using this product usually, <laughs> right? Yes. And and uh, one second, I forgot what. Uh, yeah, in terms of I was just you when you were describing uh, the conversion. When I had like it, it was a very long time ago. I had my first iPhone. It was 3GS iPhone, and same. Uh, that was the same phone <laughs> I had. Uh, I I bought. It was like a used iPhone. I couldn't like really buy a new one at that point because, yeah. And but I I, I had like you you take like a, a Samsung phone and quite often actually on the paper iPhones were much worse in terms of, like you know like numbers like. Uh, CPU, like memory, camera, and stuff like this. But then oh, the take... camera was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I just, I just keep. I had like an, a Samsung phone and a, an iPhone, and I was like looking at the Samsung phone, and I was like, why are the ports at the bottom of the phone are not aligned? Like why? <laughs> why are you? Yeah. And you take an iPhone, and it's like, it, it's just amazing. And, yes. and, and it is everywhere. Yeah, please, please, sorry. No, I mean, it's clear, like, the, the, the feel in the hand, like, the weight of the 3GS, even today, you know, the way it curves the back of it, um, mm -hmm. it's just, like, a lot of little... They're not intangible, but they're not obvious if you don't think mm -hmm. about them. But you can feel them as a, as, a, as a user. Like, you pick it up and you swipe through it. It's still, you know, a brand-new iPhone 3GS today, if you just put it in someone's hand, they could still recognize the parts that feel good. And I think video games are very similar. Actually, the more I learn about game design and development, the more mm -hmm. I kind of... I notice that a lot of what players consider valuable, even... How do I put this? I might have to go on a bit of a tangent here, but sure. um, a lot of the time I think about that kind of sense of like design elegance, like having lots of different parts that come together in a way that feels like it fits. And I've in the past put a lot of emphasis on that, um, that coalescence coming at a very like high um, mechanical level all the way down through to the bottom. That's I've always had this, I guess as a designer, I made an assumption that you would need to integrate all the way down for it to feel good at the bottom. But actually, it, I, think, I think that's still true. I think that something that does that, like uh, hits on all levels, will feel better. But I think that the standard that, that consumers have a lot of the time actually is is mostly limited to just the sensory sense of feedback. So um, you, an example would be like in film, the difference between like a Michael Bay film, uh, mm -hmm. which has got a lot of like visual flair, a lot of explosions, a lot of motion and, and special effects compared to something like, um, I don't know, Christopher Nolan film or something like that, where Christopher Nolan spends a lot of time agonizing over the 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 mechanical aspects of the film like the 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 script and how the concepts being explored kind of uh relate to 
um, I, I almost think in a way he kind of would make a good game designer, Christopher Nolan, because he seems to always deal in mechanics, like concepts, and whether those concepts are logically consistent and how they, um, how they fit together to make something that, that works. But an example of where that isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all is a film like Tenet, right? Have you seen Tenet? No, no. So Tenet is a, it's an incredibly complex film. It deals with time travel and the concept of time traveling through time in reverse. Like there's like a, uh, this idea that there's like a process you can do to a physical object to make it flow backwards in time. So you can have a, a gun where it doesn't shoot bullets, bullets that are in the environment that were always there. When you fight, when you pull the trigger, the bullet comes to back to the gun. So it's like not... It's not a magnet. It's reversing back in time. Mm. It's really, it's really confusing. But uh, the film does a good job of actually communicating this process, even visually. It does a good job. But the audio mixing in the film is so bad that it's almost impossible to hear what people are saying. So because those tangible aspects at the very, very bottom, at the, at the sensory level, because it's not a, a satisfying film to watch, to listen to, it doesn't matter that that the um, most abstract aspects were very well thought out. You know, like it actually, you could, by, contra- by contrast, you could have a very simple film that's very clumsy in its script, but feels good to watch. You know, we call those like popcorn films, right? Like, uh, I don't know, some dumb romantic comedy or something silly that has lots of plot holes, you know, but... Uh, the chemistry between the actors is fun and the, you know, the dialogue's funny. But even, like, you can imagine, like, a film, like a black and white film where a person, like, 90% of the time just sitting in a chair and speaking. And hmm. it could be a pretty good film. And it's very yeah. simple. Yeah, I, I guess to, like, round out where all that was trying to go, I guess for me, I, when I think about, like, quality... I think if we come back to the iPhone, it's clear that the iPhone is, is a product that has intent placed through all the way from the top to the bottom. The, the proposition is very simple. Like the job that an iPhone 3GS has to do is pretty straightforward. But um, if you take something that's more complicated, like, a, like something that has like a story as well as like, uh, you know, like a video game has like, it might have the story, it might have the gameplay feel, it might have parts of the game that certain players will only in, you know, um, how do I say this? You know, some, some players play for story. Some players like to explore the worlds. Some players like to, you know, engage in action or whatever. And a lot of the time, the cohesion of all of those elements will not be evident to every player. And something like a, a game can be considered very flawed and still resonate on a very deep level with enough of an audience for it to be considered like, um, you know, a greatest of all time game. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think 
greatness, like quality, with a lot of these larger projects, things like even a phone, um, but things that have more depth and complexity to them, more moving parts. Users and players and consumers can kind of... There's almost like thresholds of where some aspects, if they're really, really high, high polish, will make the thing shine. And then other, other parts uh, on the negative side, if they're really obvious, it can destroy the perception of the thing. But if there's enough good stuff and the bad stuff is, um, is not offensive, then it doesn't matter how cohesive the whole is. It, mm-hmm. It's almost like we, it's, more memor- it's, in, it's, it's enough for something to stand out in one area for us to appreciate it. Yeah. Basically, what you're saying, I, I think I'll try to kind of. Yeah, please. <laughs> it 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 doesn't like. It doesn't. You don't like. For the product to make a great, to to, to give basically joy to the users, it doesn't have to be great and ev- in all aspects of it, right? Like you don't need to the product to have the higher quality resolution. You don't like everything, right? There are just there are basic things that if you don't get them good, then the even if you have some like a good story, the people will kind of just abandon the thing even before you they get your story just because your basics don't work, right? But if you If your basics work and you have a great story, it doesn't matter that some you don't have like like fancy things everywhere, right? So mm. I think I think with a bit more reflection, there's something more specific I can say that I think I'm trying to trying to say, which is uh-huh. when you engage with something, in the first moments, you're trying to understand what you're supposed to to feel about the thing. Mm-hmm. And some of that is branding and some of it is just first impressions. And I think consumers, they try, if they can identify with something that, that they can then reason they're supposed to engage with and there's nothing blocking that experience, mm-hmm. then they can kind of place that thing in a part of their, <laughs> they can, they can, base their entire impression on the thing that they think they're supposed to do with it. So for example, the iPhone 3GS had like a one megabyte camera or something, or mm-hmm. one megapixel camera. If you, if it was marketed as a, it might've been the, I don't know, the front facing camera was one meg, it doesn't matter. If it was marketed as like a camera, we would say, this is a terrible camera, right? Like, but it's not marketed as a camera, even though it has a camera, The fact that the camera doesn't get in the way of how good of a web browser it was at the time or um, how good of a media player it was. The fact that it didn't, the fact that we could, we could isolate a use case and say, oh, when I pick this up, it wants to be used this way. And so I will judge it on the things that it seems to care about. And I'll care about those things. It's kind of like that. Like a really good example I can give in the game world is 
um, the most recent Zelda game, um, Breath of the Wild. It's an open world game. I think that its sense of drama, its story, is actually really terrible. Um, it doesn't do a good job. But nobody seems to mind, even myself, I don't really mind that the story is not very good because as an open world game with um, lots of, um, it's just a, it's a, the sense of traversal, like the, the, the way that the game unfolds to the player, the way it onboards the player into how to play it and the way that it lets the player run free, the emergent stories that come up from just environment design and things like that that's clearly where all the effort is in the design of it. And so we don't judge it on the aspects that seem to have less attention as long as those aspects don't get in the way of the bits mm-hmm. that we feel we are supposed mm-hmm. to like about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, when, when some company produces a project and like introduces some, like I don't know, gimmick, and you kind of think, like, guys, can you just get the basics right first and then we can mm. talk about fancy things right and yeah it's actually yeah and it is a very good point for, for people and even for myself to kind of actually think about and realize that it doesn't have to be perfect everywhere right it just needs to get and I don't know if you have noticed right but like it's just like you know a thing that I have been thinking about if I go to just Uh, a computer store online, right? And they see, for example, I select like some computer brand and they have more computers in general than if I, for example, select Apple, right? Mm-hmm. It, is, it is just like a small like nuance, right? That like does, it doesn't ha- make you like better if you just have more products if they kind of don't get the basics, right? And mm-hmm. it is interesting. It's kind, kind of related to what we were talking about well it's it's even there's you could even make an argument that's kind of like if you just take so when we talk about computers there's like an expectation of the base use case like mm-hmm. i use a computer to do work to consume some media etc but you could just break it out into just features right without products and say if i take these features and put them in one product is that more valuable than if i take fewer features and make that one product or more features like i think that's what like um apple actually did a really good job of defining a product category you know in um the ipad the ipad's the perfect example of a product that it didn't exist so there there is no such thing as the basics of what an ipad should be mm-hmm. there's only the proposition of here is a set of features in some hardware is this valuable enough to be worth your time? And can we, can we communicate or, or um, what's the word, sell you on a set of use cases that eventually when you use the thing, you will adopt. Like I remember, cause this was the, in 2010 or whenever it was, everyone said like, why do I need this? I have a laptop I have a phone. Why do I need this big phone? Basically, it doesn't make phone calls. So like, what do I, what's it for? But over time, it's become clear that yes, a large touchscreen, you know, without a keyboard, just with, you know, touch input, but with a decent processor, you know, for 
internet consumption, media consumption, that's a thing that people that resonate with. There's something about those features together that works. And if you put a stylus, even if it's the best stylus, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe people don't care whether it has a stylus or not. A good stylus, a bad stylus on, on you know, the iPad, it depends. Maybe some use cases, if you're an artist, maybe you can use, um, is it Procreate? You know, maybe you can get more value because that's, that matters to you. But for the, for the you know, core demographic or like the average consumer, maybe it's irrelevant. Another example would be like a, like a, a touchscreen on a fridge, you know. If the fridge is a really good fridge, the touchscreen is irrelevant unless it gets in the way of using the fridge, <laughs> right? And, and, and the problem is that, perfect example, I have a table which is a, a height adjustable stand, right? And first version of this table had buttons, physical buttons to adjust and stand. Mm -hmm. The company comes out and makes them like, a digital touch screen because because uh, like, technologies and yes. they don't understand that when I press this button it doesn't light the first time and doesn't recognize my gesture the first time like why do you do this you yes. make your product, your product. worse <laughs> yeah. for, for yeah. why yes very irresistible <laughs> and there's aspects to that right like understanding the the use case again, like if it's a table and the button is under the table, having a physical button that's tactile, I can control it without looking at it. Yeah. If there's a touch screen, I have to look at it. So like understanding that um, relationship between the proposition, like what is, what is it that I expect a user or a consumer or a player, what do I expect them to to do the, the, what's the behavior that I want from them. And, and that informs the use cases. And is that like, that should inform all of the design decisions. Like mm -hmm. there should be no other reason to design something. If it's for somebody, you need to consider them all the way throughout from the beginning. Right. This There's is no, your, yeah. This is like coming like once again, thinking about not like again, not about technologies. Technologies help us solve problems. What what problems in the world we are trying to solve? And I hope I, I could remember like exactly the story, but there was a story during the early, uh, not early, but a couple of decades ago with Apple, when uh, Jobs was there, they were try when uh, there was a story when they were designing the first Apple store right physical one mm -hmm. and uh, they rented some kind of garage or something like this and and build or yeah and build a store there and they kind of located different product products like you know a macintosh here some other like ipod or whatever they were selling here and they had this physical store and then the story was like that someone i don't remember the name came to to Steve and was thing said basically proposed, you know, I think we need to organize our store not about our products but about like creating music, creating videos, stuff like this. And 
and they they scrapped the whole thing and started from the from the beginning mm -hmm. because he understood that yeah it's actually actually this is how it's supposed to be right yes. yeah and of course and you know i was thinking like i was trying to because we because we started talking with you a little bit about like that it is kind of difficult when when you as a person think about all of the things and you understand them but you but you also kind of trying to be honest with yourself and understand that you cannot do everything by yourself right yes. and you need help from other people and you want to mm. make you kind of want to uh, bring help from other people because they can help and the like you can bring more value to your the, the end users right but you also want to kind of don't sac sacrifice the quality for this and i was thinking about like there are not many companies that can do that but the the thing that i came to is that it is i think it is still possible that in case the people who are making the decision who had the power in the company to make the decisions understand the value of those things right because yeah. Because when the company grows and when the people kind of change, the culture is changing a little bit. And sometimes it happens that the people who come in, uh, like to the decision, in, to the position of decision making, don't don't understand at least not to the same extent the value and those nuances of why it is important and how they got to the to the point where they are, even if it is a great yeah. company. And I think that that speaks to, and this is something else that I'm very interested in, because it, what we're describing here is like a, a bit like a company is a system on its own. And it also has a structure which was also designed. And so is the structure of the company designed in such a way that the people who are best poised to make design decisions are the ones that are naturally being placed higher up in the structure. Like if the company is not structured, if, if, if the design of the company and how, how um, promotions work and what factors go into promotions, if that's not designed to prioritize decision-making or um, user-centered decision-making mm -hmm. or whatever, then it won't, right? Then it will, yeah. it will prioritize some other factor. Like, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but yeah. you know you see it and, and I think as a person who for example as a leader of a group of people or a company of whatever I think in terms of if you, if you just think about how I as a person can make the most significant impact I think a lot of a lot of, a, a huge part of it would be just thinking about how to make sure that the incentives within the group are correct and that the people not trying to kind of do it yourself because you know how to do that but think a little bit more how to make sure that this ecosystem yes works in a way where the people who want to contribute and who have gr good ideas actually have the voice right in a sense Yes, uh, I think you, you, you nailed it with the word incentive. I think because people are very predictable. Like it's not, we like to think that we are in control of every decision we make and that 
um, you know, when a company goes wrong, that somebody is to blame. Like there's a person who made the culture bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. But really, everybody is just, you know, making the choices that make the most sense for them in the moment. So if, for example, a company is losing a lot of talent, if a lot of the original members of the company who, you know, share the vision or even promising juniors are leaving the company, Mm-hmm. They're doing it because it makes the most sense for them personally. And uh, th- that doesn't... It's, it's, it's almost like physics, you know? Like, it's almost like you can... Um, it's, it's just a set of forces, right? And so you, you can, yeah, ask that, the higher questions of, like, what are the incentives that the system is... is and the pressures that we're kind of being that we are creating through this structure or through these decisions or whatever it is, um, and how does that impact the flow of resources? It's really uh, it's a it's I think something that is very solvable. That I think just it's only been the last maybe I don't know. This might be arrogant of me, but I feel like thinking about things in this way, this incredibly like unemotional data driven way of like, Hey, we could just engineer this to be better. I don't know how popular that was 60, 70 years ago. You know, we think about like economic systems and like, not that I want to get into it, but like, you know, whether say capitalism, um, encourages certain markets to evolve a certain way and the differences between, you know, early stage or late stage capitalism, like who was thinking about whether or not, like who was thinking about late stage capitalism 300 years ago? It's not really, it doesn't become relevant until we're experiencing it. And so I think even at a company level, who had the, who was in a position to recognize the trends of how companies go prior to the internet era, you know, only now that we see millions of companies be created and destroyed based on all these factors over and over again, can we step back and look at the whole collective kind of set of forces and say, oh, this, ten- this tends to happen a lot. Like, why does this happen? You know, why, why, you know what are the forces that, that make this happen? I-, I feel like maybe this is a solvable problem. It just requires a lot of data, which we have more of over time just like I just I don't know I, I just like to trying to for me personally I, I'm just trying to think about start with yourself right hmm. uh, for, for me for me I, I, of course I, I'm just trying to like okay the, there is a lot of things that I don't understand that don't make sense and uh, like I don't wanna I don't wanna spend my time trying to you know think that everything is unfair around me and I like more focusing about on sure okay how how I can do something right and this is why Mm. I, I love the people who are trying to create something because these are the people who are actually trying to, you know, 
take control of like of the flow of their life right what they yes. are working on what did, would be the result instead of just like okay we everyone is doing this we are doing this it's very interesting for, for me because I, I was discussing like in my previous episode that for example when i was personally going to through school i didn't know why we are doing this i was just like everyone is doing this i am going through school why and the idea is that if i actually took a step back like and think a little bit about like okay why are we doing this why like because it's not like there are reasons there are good reasons for why it's worth studying and learning and stuff like this i just like i have never been like sat down and taught like kid you know if you study, you can do these things and you can actually improve the world because th there are a lot of things that could be improved. Nobody told me. We just were just going through school mm -hmm. and, and stuff like this. And like, I, I feel like it would be better if I like thought about it earlier. Oh, I, again, I come back to this thought of like sometimes trying to like fixating on control and like um yeah control especially when we, like it becomes it's I, we could feel it right in the conversation it becomes like difficult to in to to enjoy the conversation when we talk about fa forces and factors that are so big that a single mm -hmm. person can't control them right and i feel like almost there is a way of i see some people right like um maybe like people that are like more like um new age spiritual people mm -hmm. who feel like a much less you know like uh I, i'm trying to think of a, a better word than hippies but like people who just want to live and experience life those people are uh, i guess much less motivated to control things that go beyond them right they're just thinking about themselves in the moment and i think that that's a i think that operating in the present moment what's around you that's like uh like mindfulness right there's something very healthy about that that i think like as a species we're kind of like um evolved to find healthy right like being here to engaging with people direct like our, our own family or what's around us and the and our ability to solve complex problems it's it's very powerful but it's also like it's it creates it creates a lot of stress because it's it's like it requires like a separation right from like yourself like um and and not only that, but it, it's more uh, speculative. You have to you have to go f more and more abstract, and more and more uh, less and less concrete to 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 make those really really long projections. Like if I spend seven years on this project, like you know, I will end up with something that will be important to this many people. Like that's a very um, there's a lot of intention in that. But there's a lot of also risk as well. And I think operating in spaces where you have less and less control, 
the more time you spend in those spaces, I feel like it can create an anxiety. So as a, as a student, like you were saying, if someone had sat you down and said, it's really, really important for you to learn this and this and this because you will have the um, you know, potential to change the world or whatever, you don't feel like that might have created an anxiety, like a pressure on you to like, like a responsibility as, and one that you don't actually have any control over as a kid. It is kind of, you know, when you... It, it, basically, we are talking about that it is difficult to make decisions, right? To, because when a decision is made for you and, and something doesn't go well, you kind of at least internally have like a justification for yourself that it is not exactly your fault right but when you were giving like freedom basically and you made a decision and it didn't work well there's no one to blame there's only you and um, and and yes those things i think can can cause the anxiety for example you can you decide you want to to and it is very difficult uh, i mean you know you decided you want to try to become an artist, right? And, and draw, draw, for example, right? And you invest a lot of time into drawing, right? And as and uh, uh, people around you, for, for example, who are at the same age as you are, who are working in jobs, they are moving through the, their life, progressing through their life. And you can kind of feel that you're kind of wasting your time. <laughs> like maybe you, you didn't, didn't make the right decision and it is very hard i think uh for people and i don't know exactly what what kind of where the people who are able to overcome it where they get this kind of the the motivation to overcome it and kind of stick maybe they maybe they are at some level kind of I'm just thinking about myself because sure. I'm thinking sometimes that at some points like this where it was hard I was trying okay maybe I will kind of waste my life maybe I was just like too extreme and kind of okay if we waste our if I waste my life then like let's let's fucking do this to, to the best extent and I, I, I haven't thought like uh, like I don't have like a good uh, description about this but I feel like there is something crazy about those people who are able to overcome this kind yeah. of anxiety I think so too like I, I look at myself you know on a personal level I'm uh, one of five children so I have four siblings and um, three of them are girls and two of us are boys me and my brother are very similar and we're very um, creative and we put a lot of time into projects. And we, we try very hard, like in school and stuff. There's a lot of like effort that we put into like um, getting to a certain level or being able to create something or trying to be like the people that we idolize creatively. Mm -hmm. And our sisters are very different. They are ambitious, but they don't, 
it's not a it's not a, it's not driven by a personal like insecurity and maybe a, like uh, they just have like different kinds of goals and their goals tend to be a little bit more achievable for them mm-hmm. and if i compare us and i think about like why like like what our experiences are like my brother and i are very anxious people <laughs> like i'm a very anxious person and i spend a lot of time trying to make sure that i'm doing something like worth doing like there's a judgment there that you have to have of like i don't like you said it yourself like you don't want to waste your life where does that judgment come from you know like it, animals don't have that kind of judgment it's something that we give ourselves and i think in some way most people who are very driven probably have some kind of like personal personality characteristic that is pushing them to be better because when like it's very arbitrary right like what who says whether something is good enough or not good enough you kind of have to identify with this with the idea of getting better of improvement to do this to just go on this like endless journey of like constantly trying to to make things better i think you know even talking about steve jobs there's no question that he was somebody who seemed to have a very like strong emotional connection to the things that he was doing mm-hmm. and that that had in a lot of ways like a negative impact on people around him or um you know a lot of the things that people say that he like the the big moments of his life that you know changed the course of a product it was you know this isn't good enough right like it needs to be better it needs to be this so what separates you know an engineer's decision on what's good enough versus you know steve's opinion i feel like that kind of you could justify it in a business sense and we have like i think it's very it's clear to say like oh yeah like of course because the product will be better and people will appreciate it it's worth more that way but i think to be a person who wants to be in that position the director of a company like that ah there has to be something that's a little bit um i don't know unhealthy a little bit <laughs> but i'm okay with that like i i don't mind it it's, it it is good when it is like it is good when this unhealthy part leads to something good in the world because it also can lead to some bad things and it is not like first of all i you know there are stories like how uh steve jobs was like <laughs> kind of telling everything that it is not good enough that you are talking about right mm-hmm. and uh, uh, often i see those stories are told kind of in a negative way and i have always thought i mean i kind of understand why he was doing this of course because because he because this emotional attachment that you were talking about right and i like i don't know if it is like if there is a, like a, a better way to do that and if there was i i wish i could know about this and if someone can tell me about this like please by all means tell me mm-hmm. right and and i and i hear the same stories for example i hear the same stories for the uh elon musk right also yes. that he is going yes. and and it is also like 
I personally believe, like, not, I, it feels for me that when Steve Jobs was around, he was like, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the center of attention in terms of like creative entrepreneurs. But once he has uh, he gone, yeah, <laughs> when he died, now in current world, Elon Musk kind of the, like, this center of creative entrepreneurs, right? Yes. And I'm not saying that, th th again, there's like a lot of things that I don't understand why he's doing a certain way. But this, like, but I cannot, for example, take away that it feels, at least on, like for me, it feels like this is the person who has a similar, you know, emotional connection to whatever his goals that he's trying to achieve. It's definitely, at the very least, inspiring, right? Like I personally you know whatever say what you like about elon musk but the idea of elon musk like mm -hmm. say four or five years ago before he had sort of before he owned twitter <laughs> when it was just kind of like here's a guy who's who is the ceo of this electric car company and is you know pioneering in these reusable rockets with a you know aerospace company and you know maybe even starting a third company about um you know neural implants like this is very inspirational and it it's mm -hmm seeing someone have so much vision and so much investment in making the world a different place and hopefully a better place. There's something about that that resonates with me, of course, because it's, and that doesn't have to have, um, like the vision of a better world, I think is something that everybody can relate to and everybody, you know, will find um, inspiring. But the reality of, of who that man must be as a person to want to believe that, that they can do a good job of, you know, being a CEO of four companies and make big, big design decisions on each of these aspects. I guess, un like, until I find a, a, an example of somebody who is more emotionally stable, like it seems like it's a bit of a pattern, you know, that there's got to be some kind of, I don't know about narcissism, but like ego that's, that's driving them, that makes them think that they have to be the one to determine what the direction needs to be and that their interpretation is better. Because I think, to be honest, like some of these decisions, even myself, like I'm, I'm working on my game. There are lots of decisions that I look at and I think to myself, there's no human on this planet who can, who could confidently say what the right decision was for this specific choice that I have in a specific situation because it's too complex. Like there's just no way that anyone could be confident, but somebody who is confident in a room of people, who says it needs to be this way, mm -hmm. they will probably win <laughs> because it's nice to have confidence, to be around somebody who's got, who's got confidence, even if, even if it's, you know, uh, unwarranted. So. Yes. And it, I mean, for example, a team of people, right. And a person comes and, and says that, you know, there is a person who, uh, I'm, I'm most likely you don't know, but Andrew Caparty, it is a person who was the um, 
senior director of, of machine learning at Tesla, and now he's at uh, OpenAI and he's has done a lot of amazing things in terms of like machine learning. And he mm -hmm. he used like a phrase which I like really like that sometimes he's working on the project and he was saying like this thing must exist. Just <laughs> just the project he's it is amazing when the people like I don't care if I don't kind of I reject the like I don't accept the the me thinking that it it cannot be done or anything. This thing is important yes. enough that it just must exist and we just like we'll get it done. So yes. We'll figure out a way. And just And that there is a there is like definitely I feel like there's a relationship here between the kinds of people who explore, like people who go on, like before the world was mapped, you know, people who get on boats and sail for months, you know, mm -hmm. expecting to find new continents or whatever. Like, it's not a very rational thing to expect something to exist that you don't know exists or not. Right to just follow, have an intuition and say no, it has to be this way, but it's valuable that we have people like that because sometimes there is something there, even if eighty, ninety, ninety-nine percent fail. If there is one percent who finds something valuable, everybody can enjoy that new discovery. So in a way, it's a process which I think maybe the word unhealthy was not a good choice for me maybe necessary it's it's like a necessary kind of uh discomfort with with um the norm do you know what i mean or with what's known and what's proven and what's stable you know i don't yeah. know how to i think it's yeah. about it's valuable in a society sense but on a personal level because i know i'm one of those people in a way um I, I am tempted by the things that I don't, by by the promise of something that I don't know exists yet, but I can see how that affects me in in my other parts of my life too. So yes, it's true. It's it certainly there is a reason why Elon Musk has been married multiple times. <laughs> yes, right. So and stuff like this. So yeah, I have been. I. I just like for me personally because I have been thinking a lot about this. First of all, yes, we can talk nice about like people who are crazy and 90% of them fail, right? And one thing is that it, it sucks to be the person who fails <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but and I was thinking about okay, uh, you don't get the the success is not guaranteed, right? But yes. what is what is important for you to at least like try to at least mitigate somehow those uh, chances of failure as much as you can? And my answer to this so far, the thing that I have been like the best the best ideas that I was able to come up with is, is you eager need to be you you should yes like be open-minded and be like a little bit crazy about ideas is good but you should not just like lock on this one you need to mm -hmm. understand that just having gr like crazy ideas 
without implementing and getting them to the end is is not useful and it is more much more likely to fail right so yeah. for me uh, i would say that i've been thinking that you need to find try to find those balances right between between being crazy and trying to get stuff done and yeah. personally i like finding those balances is very difficult for me because <laughs> I, I it's much easier for me to go to extremes either on one way or the other way and yes. i have tried this like for example in software trying to like implement some crazy thing and on only like with some experience i was able to kind of understand it a little bit more intuitively that uh trying to go to extremes it, it is easier but it, it doesn't work usually and another interesting thing is that there are two extremes on the left and right but there is also extreme trying to get exactly in the middle and yes. and and i was thinking about this because like okay now if if eager you shouldn't go like extremely to the left or to the right, try to get precisely in the center. And it was also very, very dangerous thing for me because I could try to focus on this. And for me, I kind of decided that I want to be closer to the center, but most likely I will kind of skew a little bit in one side or the other, but yes. closer to the center. Yeah, there's kind of like, um, what, I guess what you're describing is like, in navigation terms, it's like there uh -huh. is bias to explore certain kinds of spaces. And then there is acknowledging that, um, that sometimes you need to course correct, right? But how much of that, how strong is the course correction force? Because sometimes if you just constantly are course correcting, mm. you, you don't actually go anywhere. You sort of just, it's like indecision because it's like, well, yeah. maybe I'm being too, too impulsive or maybe I'm working too hard and you you have if you don't commit to any strategy then you just do nothing so having a strategy and just committing to it oftentimes is better than being too uh too confused by the different strategies you could take and not picking one and and uh, and this is why I think the best idea that I was able to kind of crystallize in in my head so far is this idea of trying to being honest with with yourself because when you face a roadblock you don't know whether like you should actually try and try a different approach or you kind of just being lazy and not wanting to pursue it right yes and and it is very difficult to kind of honestly say to yourself that you are being lazy yes. and uh, or stubborn. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes, or stubborn. Uh, for example, because of like, uh, thank, uh, like because you have invested already a lot of time into this one and you are just cannot allow yourself to, you do, not, you do not want to accept the fact that you have wasted a lot of time for pretty much for nothing, maybe learning, but pretty much for nothing, right? Yeah. And it is, it is, I think it is the most difficult part and the most impactful part if you can kind of manage to be to be able to kind of honestly communicate with yourself inside of yourself yes a hundred percent and i think that honesty is the right word there because it it describes the relationship between um your perception and your reality and 
that's the same process as like, it's like the scientific method or learning. Like if you don't, if you reject information, new information that you learn, like say I have some intuition and I think, I think there's going to be something valuable over here. I think this is worth trying. And you try it and the data you get back says, this is not a good idea. Well, if you ignore that data, if you're dishonest about it and you say, no, 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 it's definitely going to be over there. Then of course you're, th you're, you, that's, I think where it goes wrong. And I think where like we talk about those personality types becoming counterproductive is when the ego gets in the way of the reality, when the information is there. And I think that, that it's difficult because at the start of a project, there is no information. So mm -hmm. you have to have somebody who is willing to imagine and be creative and be disruptive. Mm -hmm. You have to have those people starting the journey. But if they, if you don't have control measures in place with where there's a maintained relationship with reality, then how do you stop them from going off course into some place that doesn't make any sense? And I think back to Steve Jobs, I was recently listening to uh, someone give an interview about who had worked with Steve Jobs. I can't remember who they were, but they'd worked on the iPhone. And they actually said, like, yes, Steve was, he wasn't just a tyrant. If you gave him a solution that was better than what he was proposing, he would listen to it. You have to be careful. You have to be conscious and, and nice about it. But eventually he'd come around to it because he cared enough about the end product that his vision wasn't the only thing he could see. So I, um, I, I respect that and I try to be aware of that. Um, and I think that's probably where it's kind of the one area where I think having a team over a single person is a, is, can be helpful because you have those balancing forces of other voices other perspectives where doing it all yourself, especially over a long period of time, it's easy to lose that relationship with reality mm -hmm. with, and, and, and the intuition that you used at the beginning, like for me, I'm, I think that I'm, when I started game design, the thing that I valued most was my experience as a player. The idea that, oh, I know what's good because I've played so many games. I know what feels good. But making a game is not the same as playing games. And so the longer you spend making it, if you don't have a constant relationship with games and playing them, you actually lose a sense of intuition. Like you lose the relationship, the empathy with the player mm -hmm. because you fixate on problem solving or productivity or something else. So I think that's where splitting responsibilities and having somebody who's a director who's not actually working on the tiniest things helps that person keep clarity because they're not investing, you know, years of their life into some prospective aspect of the technology. Like imagine if Steve Jobs was obsessive about antenna technology or something and had spent, you know, all this time on a specific kind of antenna that just wasn't going to work. Um, like on the iPhone four or whatever, the, the antenna on the outside, you know, iPhone four was like, 
interesting scenario with the antenna. It was nice when it is also <laughs> give everyone like a free bumper. <laughs> Stuff like this. Yeah, so I, not not to say that that was like somebody's stubborn decision to keep that in or whatever, but you can see where um, I think it happens with Elon I, to an extent. I think he's a pretty stubborn person sometimes. Yeah, I get the sense. I, I don't know. Yes. For example, for example, I still don't like I don't own a Tesla, and and I'm I have actually considered purchasing a Tesla, but I decided mostly not. I haven't purchased it yet. But and the reason um, there are certain aspects which seem very strange to me and I don't understand they kind of and I do think that they come from like from the personality of Elon Musk right and mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand because they don't make the product better right yes. and they are kind of reflection of the personality of the person right yeah and uh, like the simplest even like for example in the model S they have changed the the wheel in for a yoke I, I like yes. I don't follow this exactly I think there was some options now maybe to get it like as well with as uh, but I, like, it's a good example I, I, I didn't understand this like why like I mean yes. okay you are making the uh, the display in front of the use uh, in front of the driver better like why like I mean for example on model three they still have the central display and that's it and there is like a speed in the top uh left corner right and like why don't you have like a projection on the screen that i don't need to look aside while i'm driving and i don't like i just like these are the basics that we were talking about like we don't i don't need the the car to dance until it can show me the speed like as basics let's get basics first and and this is what i i don't really understand why why yeah it's a i think that this comes from the way i've I've been thinking about this a lot recently actually it's i'm going to make a video about it maybe today for my youtube channel about uh a principle or a a, a set of into uh how would i call this like something that i've noticed a dynamic Mm -hmm. in the relationship between um design intent and like consumer experience Mm -hmm. and when things go wrong like that like when when you ask yourself like what why is this this way i think it comes from um it's a it's a question of values so like there is something that elon musk values higher than the driving experience if the driving experience is being sacrificed for something else and if the values that drove that decision to make a yoke rather than a wheel don't align with the rest of the values that go to the proposition of what the product is then there's like a dissonance there's like a there's like a lack of harmony between the values and so mm-hmm. it gets in the way of them which makes the product worse because having the having the values align is like it creates a stronger identity that's how i that's how I interpret it, interpret it. So that's why things that are simple are really, it's easy to understand something that's simple because there are only two or three decisions that go into making it. 
So it's easier for those to align. But the more complicated something is, the more chance there is for some values to come in that disrupt the core vision. So like in that case, like what is it? Is it that yokes from a marketing and branding perspective are more like F1 races? So they feel more sporty. Is that, is that worth more than, you know, the, the utility of having a wheel? Is it like you said, like, uh, that you want vision over the dash, you know, more or something like that. I think the same, the same thing comes from, um, like touch screens over buttons, mm-hmm. like physical dials in a car for like the air conditioner or the radio are like very useful. They're very practical. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're less sexy, you know, maybe they don't feel as cool as a touch screen, but it's, it's measurably less safe, you know, to have a touch screen off to the side where all the information is. If the driver has to be looking forward, you know what I mean? And you know, my, my thing has always been because I, I'm talking about similar ideas about product design sometimes with my friends and I have always told them, you know, I just like, I like, and I'm not sure if it is it's just like an idea. I'm not sure if it is like one person decision, but if there was a person who has made this decision, like I wanted to just talk with them and just honestly talk with them and understand why, why do you think it is like a, a good idea? Hmm. I don't know. I have always wanted to talk with people who make those like I decisions that I don't really understand because like maybe I'm missing something. Who knows? I mean, a lot of it, I think comes, there's like multiple things, right? Like one is that the, the cars are part of a business. And so there are, the, the business is, is foundational on like the success of the business is based on sales. Sales is uh, they, sales are, are made through marketing, not through experience. Like you don't drive a car for six months and then purchase it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because maybe it would be a very different landscape if that was the case. If you had to yes. experience something for a long time, say, this isn't good. For, you know, this isn't for me. Like with films, it's like that, right? Like the trailer sells the film. Mm-hmm. There is, there is a sense that reviews also um, sell a film. If a film's very highly critically acclaimed, people will go and, and watch it. But um, the fact that the market is a factor that can also that that I think always um, has a risk of of creating stresses on the product or values that are counter to the actual experience because the experience is not what's selling the product. Um, it's it's other things. So like a yoke might be more attractive, but less practical. But you're not making the purchase on practicality because you haven't used it yet. So. And it is very, yeah. it's very, it's very interesting when you need to go like and spend, like if you buy a car, right? You need to spend like a significant amount of money and you kind of don't really, ha- like you can't test drive it, but like you, you will not even, yes, you will not like feel everything until you kind of spend some time and have time basically to explore, explore in and and in particular in your uh, situations for yes. for your life because yes. otherwise it's just like and it is you know it is very this is where like the brands for example 
why I thought I, for, I have always like for, for a long time I was thinking about that the brand is basically from from one from one side from from the from the company point of view brand is a promise right yes a, a promise that exactly like what you can we promise you that if you buy our product you can expect like basically that your expectations will be met right and, and beyond that it's it's not just that it's telling the consumer what their expectations should be as well right it's both it's saying these are the expectations you should have and they will be met because if yes yes yeah because what because like you do not promise what you cannot deliver basically right yeah and for example with apple for example for me even though i like the apple display which is the the the, the cheapest one which costs like like two thousand or something like this but anyways yes. This thing is bad product, I think. There are many things that are bad with this. Like there was a problem with camera, but other things. But for example, sometimes Apple has like good products. Even and you know, even if we take the Apple display, which costs like six thousand, right? The expensive one. Yes. Yes, it is expensive. But especially when it came out, when you bought it. Yes, you spend a lot of time, but you know that you bought a good product. And in this sense, it is, it is in some sense, even easier to spend this money because you know yes. that you will get something for it. Yes. And if you just take this money and, and kind of don't want to spend that much and you want to and go buy some other product, yes, will it show the picture? Yes, but it is all wobbly and stuff and you kind of yes you know that you have spent like four thousand dollars but you ca can you live actually uh, without like torturing yourself that you kind <laughs> of didn't actually went and did spend like those money i don't know yeah i think it's it's actually a really really important distinction between value and quality so Quality, like something that is high quality, raises the price or you expect the price to be higher. So like Apple's yes. promise mm -hmm. is, yes, our products are very expensive, but they're very high quality. So the value proposition is as long as we keep that promise, then it's worth it. Right? And so you feel confident as a consumer. They're very consistent. Mm -hmm. Their products, yes, they're very expensive, but I feel good spending all that money because I know that, the, that it's worth it. But you can make equally good promises as a company that makes budget hardware, right? You could say, yes, yes we make very, very cheap um, products um, and they're not great, but we'll make sure that, you're, that they're valuable for the money that you spend. Like a lot of people buy phones on Alibaba or whatever, like a lot of those budget phones. And of course, they're not as good as Apple phones, but for the user, for the promise, the promise is being kept, right? Like it will do the things that it promises and I paid an amount of money that I feel happy with. So when the, when the, it's more about how good the promise is than, and, and how well it's kept than how good the product is but, in that instance. But you know, there is also another thing that, 
For example, if you want to do small things like buy like a, uh, maybe it is I am that crazy, but if you want to buy like an uh, thunderbolt cable, right? <laughs> yes, Apple sells a, a thunderbolt cable for like thunderbolt four for three me uh, meter cable for one hundred fifty dollars. I love Apple, but it is it is too too much expensive, especially when you compare with worst product, which is like twenty dollars. Yes. Uh, but for example, and the the thing that people usually don't consider is that when you want to buy a product from a different company, I, you you want to buy like. I don't know, a scale, a Thunderbolt cable. You just need to go to Amazon and you need to spend try time trying to understand what, which company to, to, to kind of trust, right? Mm -hmm. But when you have like a brand uh, like Apple or something like this, it's kind of, it's not, it's very, very difficult to measure quantitatively, right? But when you, when you when I know that I need to buy a computer, I don't need even to make a decision. I kind of know what I am buying, unless mm. there is like um, touch bar and stuff yeah. like this. <laughs> oh, I think brand loyalty is extremely important, and I think it's something that in the last maybe like fifteen twenty years I've noticed it's not something about industry becoming much much more. Like the turnover of consumption of products seems faster. People always talk about how, like, oh, in the old days, you know, you buy a washing machine, and uh -huh. the washing machine would last, you know, fifteen years, but now mm -hmm. it only lasts, you know, two years or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's so much choice right now, and there's so little reason to what's the word? Um, the promises don't last as long. And so people are less incentivized to place loyalty. Like for, for me, even Apple for me, like Apple, you know, 20 years ago, I have a different mental relationship with that Apple than Apple today. I probably mm -hmm. don't really trust Apple today as much, you mm -hmm. know, even in terms of quality. And I think that that's based on the record. Like you can see, you know, bumps in the road of quality, you know, um, even I would say like for me, uh, I was really into the, when Microsoft got back into hardware, mm -hmm. um, and they started doing phones and tablets and stuff like when the surface came out and, mm -hmm. um, when, um, windows phone was coming out, I was yes. really invested in them because I thought, oh, here's like a new kind of brand entity. It's a new kind of team working on some stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Surface, the first three iterations, I was really impressed with the progress they were making. And I had a lot of confidence. I almost just on principle would buy a Surface every new generation. But then the Surface like three, four, five, six, all had the same shell, like almost exactly the same specs. And that changed the perception, right? For me, it was like, oh, they've stagnated. Maybe they're, whatever's happening in the company is his not they're not investing whatever it takes to continue innovating in this space so like i just kind of stopped taking an interest and so i think that 
having that, there's almost like a promise that's being made, not just within a product, but within the brand, like product to product, like mm-hmm. over time, you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. it is interesting with Apple. Everyone knows that every year there will be like a new iPhone, right? It's like a consistent yeah. thing that they haven't mm. broken, at least so far. Yeah. And it's kind of, you don't need to think about it, right? It's kind of the promise, right? But yeah. if Apple didn't release a new iPhone, then it would be like, it will be like a big news event, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. But there's also like a perception that happens like over the last 15 years of iPhones, there is also a kind of expectation that the con- that the consumer base has created where there's like um I think they call it like TikTok or something like that or like it's like every second year is the bigger jump you know what mm-hmm. i mean so mm-hmm. you don't buy a new iPhone every year you buy it mm-hmm. either you know this year and then wait two or this year and wait two but you mm-hmm. not every year yeah. um and that's probably part of things like phone contracts that last 24 months and this and that but uh There's like an unwritten rule that also is part of that promise. And I think, I mean, consistency is important, but also diversity. It kind of comes back to, um, I always bring all this stuff back to stories. Uh-huh. I think people at the, like foundationally expect, they, they, they think about things in stories, even if it's subconsciously. So like, what is the story of Apple? You know, I feel like post Steve Jobs era, there is no story. Like, I don't really, I don't really feel like there's a narrative of the company. I don't really know what they're working towards or what they've got going. It's almost a bit soulless because Steve was kind of like, Steve was the story. Um, and I feel the same way with like that, um, in a completely different way, but the Marvel films, <laughs> like mm-hmm. there was this, you know, Marvel Uh, cinematic universe with the Avengers and you could see all of the characters and all the pieces moving towards this big conclusion. It happened. And every movie since then has been like, where is the meta layer of story that's happening with this franchise? And should I still care about the franchise and get excited about it? That's, that's the real one. Like what does it take to get somebody excited about where a company or a brand or a franchise will be five years from now? You know, what, that, that requires more than just consistency. It's like dynamism. They have to be doing different things in, in ways as well, not just the same thing. I don't know exactly. I certainly think I, I do have, do like understand the value of the stories, right? And, and I do believe it is very important because, you know, for example, even when we talk about marketing right like a lot of people who i talk with about marketing is like social media marketing and how much money our marketing campaign will cost and stuff like this but how like why how does it fit in the broader picture like why are we talking about all those things right and i would say i i think that even with elon musk The, 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 uh, I think a large part of like the rise of like Tesla, SpaceX is, is the story that, yeah. okay, we are, we are going to Mars. Like why? Like, I don't know. We are going to Mars. 
Yeah. Right? Oh, and it's an interesting... I mean, it is. It's a beautiful story. It's, a, it's very engaging. And seeing it unfold is like... It feels like humanity is doing something important. Mm-hmm. Right? It, fe- it feels like important. And you can... I think you can kind of a little bit connect to it, right? Because you kind of become a part of like something like awesome that we are building, right? And yeah, you like can the, cheer it on. Like a space race in the 60s, uh-huh. you know? It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is interesting. I, I, need to, I want to think a little bit more about like, and I have been thinking, but I want to spend a little bit more time trying to, you know, understand how how to tell these stories in a way that mm. uh, that kind of resonates with people. Because I noticed that when, when I talk with people in general, because first of all, when I talk with people, I, I often like in the first like 10 minutes of the conversation go deep into like, why are you doing these things? What these things? No, like, I mean, yeah, very, very, very deep. and. Yeah. Uh, I don't like. It's very difficult for me to have like conversations about like uh, something, and the idea is that when I talk with people, what I have noticed is that when I talk about the ideas that I have and the way how I describe about them, people people enjoy it. They get excited about this, and like I always like okay like don't you want to do something like amazing yourself and i was trying to kind of get this connection with people but unfortunately what i found is that people when people talk with me they kind of get ramped up but the problem hmm. but the problem is that when i leave there is no like after like 3 days they are back to to where they were in terms of like level of excitement and they don't continue to kind of excite themselves by themselves and i'm not yeah. sure exactly how i can how i can I, I was thinking a lot about how i can like maybe i should be communicating in a little bit different way so the people can continue like get energy from me let's say is and then like continue a, themselves is this like a business thing like getting people motivated to maybe join you on a project kind of thing um when I was talking with people, to be honest, it is I was talking with them in different contexts. Sometimes it was in a in a sense in the context of trying to kind of work on something together, right? But sometimes it was in a in a sense I was just sharing, for example, with my friends, right? Uh, some of the my friends, I I I just wanted for them to get some like some like progress in their life to get the things that they want that they want they talk about and okay, have okay. Problems with well the, I mean that it's kind of a different conversation but motivating somebody to do something I think always requires for them first to have an emotional investment in that thing and if that emotional investment is something external if it's you getting them excited then of course the excitement will leave when you leave because it's not a fire in them, right? And so it's a different exercise of, of, of putting, communicating something to somebody that resonates with them so much that they will choose to act 
in different ways towards that thing. That's a, that's not a responsibility I would expect most people to, to like, even myself, like I can't tell someone how to think or what to get excited by, you know, it's, but th- I can this happens, try to argue, but this happens. Oh, this often happens even for the, for the, there is another problem is that often when I talk with people, I, as I said, I, I very, very quickly get to the meat of the things, right? I'm trying to understand like what their goals mm. are, right? Yeah. And what they are trying to, to build or something. And I like, at least for the people that I have like met, right? In my, like just in my circumstances and the way how I was sure. living, I don't often like, I don't often see a person who can, like when you ask them about their goals, who can clearly explain the steps. Here's my goals and here's how I get, will get them. Mm. Like when I, I talk with people about their goals, it is more like uh, something hand-waving. Yeah. And I call that, um, uh, there are some people that I met, like when I was in university, like um, I would call people like that, like dreamers. Like mm-hmm. it's a dream, but there's no action. There's no like plan that's concrete um yeah i mean i i guess for me the 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 skill or whatever it is the the motivation to try to like fix that in other people i don't know if i feel that much of a drive to do it because I think like a good example would be in in university, like in my degree, there were like maybe 50, 60 people in my year group and only maybe 10 or 15 of us were like extremely passionate about the subject matter, you know, and even maybe two or three, like I did a, a, an extra year of honors, like an honors project, which is like a research project after the Mm -hmm. coursework. There are only three of us did that. So only really three of us were so interested that we would, go into like academia just to be more close to the subject material. Mm -hmm. And when I think about like, if the question is like, why, like why were maybe 50% of the students not so invested that they would go that far? The answer is, well, for them, this is not either. They haven't found the part of their, they haven't found their place in life. Like they don't know if this is what they want to do. Um, They might just be doing it because, it was something that seemed interesting. Um, or, um, maybe they have something else that they're more interested in that, that they place more importance in. And so just because something is important to me, you know, I I have to, I, I have to accept that people are in different places in their life at different times in their journey and could be on different paths to me heading in a direction that's somewhere else. I mean, there are plenty of things that I started doing that I don't currently do today, like um, uh, playing guitar. I love playing guitar. I love music, but I just don't have the time to prioritize my guitar playing skills the way that I do with my game design. So if someone was just looking at me in terms of my guitar abilities, they would say, oh, he doesn't practice so you know, how can I make him care more about guitar and how can I make him put more effort into that area of his life? But it's like, well, because it's not a priority. 
for me. I, I don't think it is like I'm I don't I'm not thinking about like you know trying to get interest, people interested in something that they are not interested in. The problem is that like it is difficult to understand like uh, what those people are interested in. <laughs> this is the other thing. But, but I think even that, uh, even the the drive that you're describing, not everyone is driven. And I think that's okay. I think that uh, because we need people to be, we, I think most people, but like society cannot function if everybody is driven to change the world. Yes. Because we'd all be going in different directions. Like yeah. we need people who are um, garbage collectors and we need people who paint walls and we need people who um, are caregivers. Like that's really important. And I, I value what I value what those people do just as much as I value what I do. And I think I try as I get older to, to place the dream and the vision of like changing the world or whatever, or even like changing my industry, like the game landscape, like making a game that's so important that people think of it as like genre defining or whatever. That pursuit is in the grand scheme of things, like not, it's meaningful to me and it might be meaningful to the people in my industry, but it's, that that meaning is very arbitrary, right? Like it, it doesn't. Uh, it might not mean anything to my neighbors or to my parents yeah. or whatever. So having big goals, even not everyone has to have big goals, you know. If they want, if they have big goals but they just don't know how to pursue them properly, then then you know you can talk about self help and productivity and that kind of stuff. But even that, some people just don't, I, I think it's very, and maybe this comes back to the personality thing. If you don't have like something in you that's just dissatisfied, like, un, like unhappy with the way things are like on a, on a, like a, like a core level, then it's hard to tell someone no, 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 you have to try harder to be better. You, know, you have to be more organized. You have to be more interested. Like, how can you do that if they don't already have that inside of them? <sighs> this has been fun. I've got to go. I've got to go soon. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 I believe we could talk, like, a lot. I could talk, gosh, literally, until the sun goes down. But um... I think we can wrap up here. Um... I don't know. Do you want to share maybe something? Oh, I mean, hey, if you're watching this and you are familiar with my content and you haven't reached out to me, um, I'm looking to build a team right now. So if you are a, uh, if you are anyone who works in, in games, whether that's in publishing or in music production or art or programming or anything like that, and you're interested in working with me on my project, then feel free to do that. You can find me um, at Adam C. Yunus, that's A-D-A-M-C-Y-O-U-N-I-S, on Twitter and on YouTube and on Twitch, all of those places I have the same handle. There you go. Great. I hope, I hope, I hope there will be people who would kind of... that the content and all this discussion that we were having, we're having 
resonates with and then they can kind of know where to go and to kind of I really hope that because I want more great things in the world really it, it's just amazing I just want cool stuff uh, okay okay uh, <laughs> anyway so that that was really fun thank you yeah definitely thank you so much <laughs>